2: welcome to the special edition of tech check on cnbc i am john ford jim kramer is off tonight a well-timed special tech entered the second half of the year after the momentum the monster run to start 2023 the nasdaq having its best first half in 40 years the xlk tech etf up 39 percent year-to-date those gains have really been mostly among the biggest players as we've discussed the magnificent seven, as some are calling them. Semiconductors, they've done pretty well, especially given Nvidia and AMD. But legacy tech like Cisco and IBM, those stocks trailed. And newly public companies, emerging tech, recent IPOs, some of those struggled as well. Stocks like HashiCorp and PagerDuty. So what do you do now? That is the big theme that we are taking up tonight. Can you trust the same story to keep playing out in the second half of the year? You kind of never can. Well, new today. The data from the jobs report that gives us a bit of a better picture of the labor environment. The total number came in below expectations, but the employment picture remains robust. We still added more than 200,000 jobs in June. Wage growth remains high. I sat down with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy yesterday. He describes the road forward as still uncertain for the economy, despite the sticky labor market and the big move higher for equities in the first half of the year. Take a listen.
3: I don't think any of us believe we're out of the woods um, with the economy. I, as I said, I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty, and I don't think anybody knows what the next several months are going to be like. And, you know, I, I, like everybody, we've got a plan. And, um, you know, uh, we had a plan the last few years, too, and, and things changed. So, we're, we're you know, we are being, uh, we spent a lot of time as a company, and we continue to spend time really looking hard at all our businesses and trying to be as lean as we can be on cost. Well, making sure we preserve the key investments and, and that we think can meaningfully change customer experiences in the company long term. And I think so far we've done a pretty good job of that.
2: Well, now let's look hard into your portfolio. Joining me now to do that, Ben Emmons, Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of Fixed Income at New Edge Wealth. And David Katz, CIO at Matrix Asset Advisors. Ben, you're here with me on set on a Friday evening. You really care. I appreciate that. So (laughs) this jobs number, and not that you don't care, David, um, care about you as well. But I'll start here with Ben. So tell me, what what does this jobs number mean, particularly for not the big tech companies,
0: because they're going to do what they're going to do,
2: but for some of the smaller caps, the the names that are sort of in the
0: middle? Yeah, this was a good report for the smaller caps, you know, that sort of showed a broadening of strength in the labor market it. All the major sectors had job gains, some of them even more than before. So they take construction or manufacturing, for example. Now, that's notable. We talk a lot about manufacturing recession, but actually we're not really seeing that in the jobs number. Uh, secondly, even tech had no job losses this time after all those layoffs. So and then I looked at the labor force participation. That was increasing for both women and men. Particularly for women, you know, leaving, uh, re, uh, reaching pre-pandemic levels. Hmm. So that tells you that there's a lot of people coming back in into the labor market, finding jobs quickly. That's a very healthy labor market. David, uh, what is your take on what, if anything, investors
2: need to change coming out of the first half into the second half? If you're rebalancing, you're doing what?
4: So we think you want to use. Look at what you say in hockey, which is you want to skate to where the is going rather than where it is. So we think technology had a great first half. Uh, we don't expect it to have a repeat in the second half. We think some of the things that did poorly in the first half are going to be much better places to be in the second half. Uh, we think there's going to be volatility and a rotation. Uh, healthcare did particularly poorly uh, in the first six months. We think that's positioned to do very well financials had a uh, gruesome first six months. Uh, We think the stress test results and the fact that they were allowed to increase their dividends is a good thing. You're also seeing very significant insider buying there. So that's another area that we think is going to be a very good place to make money. And then within technology there are a few stocks that lagged in the first half we think. They're going to play some catch up a company like Qualcomm which is in semiconductors has really lagged the group and we think that's going to be the next leg. Within technology we don't think you want to chase. The first six month winners.
2: David, why Qualcomm? The the overall smartphone market has been somewhat weak, but the growth areas for Qualcomm, including automotive and uh, industrial, have been strong. Are are they going to start to get some valuation credit for that that they haven't been getting thus far into 23?
4: Great point. So they're really not getting any credit for that right now. We think what's going to happen is. The uh, inventories are going to be corrected in the phones. You're going to start to see phone sales pick up. And then when they see the uh, automobile pick up as well, they're going to get a multiple expansion. They're at about 12 times earnings. There are a lot of technology companies at 30 or 40 times earnings. Uh, Qualcomm is also a second derivative play on artificial intelligence. The Mm -hmm. first thing you're seeing is the chips going up, the Microsoft's, the Amazon's doing really well. But a lot of what's going to happen in AI is going to take place on your cell phone, which means you're going to need a 5G upgrade, better Qualcomm chips. They're going to be in the sweet spot of that. That's generally, I'd say, about six to 12 months out. But as the okay. market often does, it discounts it in the future.
2: Now, Ben, I know this is a tech check special, but I think we'd be doing the viewers a disservice if we didn't talk about fixed income. And I mean, beyond just treasuries and T-bills, because right now, especially for you know people in higher tax brackets, you've got some yields where I imagine if you lock them in, you know, if you're thinking longer term in your portfolio, if you're not retired already, there could be some reasons to do that. Whereas all the numbers that I've seen, the surveys suggest that even older investors are way leaning toward equity. So
0: how do you play it now? Yeah, you could very much take fixed income into account in the portfolio. As you mentioned, there is yield built this year from last year and probably with some more yield ahead of us because this report today, once again, tells you like the Federal Reserve has to probably raise rates a few more times. So, you know, if you think about, you know, retirees in terms of taxable versus tax exempt, both of those yields are attractive. You're talking here about four to 6% range. That's a significant difference from pre-pandemic. Uh, even in, if you think about corporate bonds or high quality, high yields, You're talking about six to eight percent. So there's a lot of new income in the fixed income markets. I think it's exciting. At the same time, it's attractive, a good balance against this equity position that although is a good position, given the strength of the economy, you you have to balance that if if yields go higher and and take more position in fixed income.
2: Uh, Put a little more detail on that, because junk bonds have actually been doing really well. This year, but everybody has been saying, stay away from those. Go to high quality. Uh, I think we don't talk about munis
0: enough. What should investors think about as they build out those fixed income positions? Yeah, yeah if you start with, with high yields, you know, there's obviously a, a, a certain part of the market that's quite risky. That's the triple C rated market. That interestingly, that that is actually up quite a lot this year. It's very correlated with equities. But if you think about you know, telecom or, or other communication services that have frequent issues in high yield, higher quality, high yield, that's attractive to invest in. Given where the economies today, take that against taxable or tax exempt munis. Uh, you're talking about four to 5% tax exempt uh, yields, tax equivalent, it's more like 7 to 8%. So mm-hmm. that, that is competing with high yield. So I think if you make that comparison, you can have a nice portfolio here balanced out against equity. That's what I was <laughs> yeah. hoping that you would get to, that tax
2: equivalent. Uh, yield. David, uh, as you look into the second half, we all know holiday season is in that final quarter. That matters a lot. But what are some of the other signposts that investors should think about um, as we wonder how the macro economy is going to shape up and and how long the consumer is going to be able to keep spending?
4: So the critical thing is, does inflation keep going lower? We think that it does. We think you're going to have a good print in in, uh, this coming month in terms of the inflation. If that's the case we think the fed will uh, eventually pause whether it's one increase or two increases when they pause that's going to be critical inflation stays lower and if the economy stays surprisingly strong as it has today's labor number was still good even though it slowed a little bit more than expected if that's the case companies are doing well we think the market then starts to look toward a better 2024 economy and we think a lot of the stock market is selling at 12 to 14 times earnings in a reasonable economy with the fed having uh, stopped raising rates that's going to be pretty good for stocks. Again, right now, the market's at 19 times earnings. But if you X out those largest seven companies, it's down to about 16 times earnings. And there are a lot of stocks in, in the lower teens. That usually is a pretty good place to make money.
2: All right. I think we gave viewers a lot to chew on. Go through your playbook. Rewrite it over the weekend. David, Ben, thank you. Thank you. Thank All right. Don't go anywhere. Tech Check is just getting started.
4: Tonight, Amazon's edge in AI, plus threading the needle, who comes out on top in tech's new competitive era, and a prime time for Amazon's devices, the man behind Alexa, Echo, and Kindle on the company's next frontier. That and more when Tech Check returns.
5: Justin and so good.
2: Welcome back. Top Amazon executives telling CNBC yesterday that we are about to see the substance behind AWS and artificial intelligence. I was in Seattle at Amazon headquarters, spent time with Mylon Thompson-Berkovic, a 13-year AWS veteran who oversees many data and AI efforts. She said the combination of AWS's custom chips and massive cloud data customer base gives them an advantage in AI.
3: I will also say that when you're training your data set, you also have to look at different aspects of performance. It's not just the custom silicon. It's the ability to take the data out of storage and get the best performance for that. And we have services that we use, our managed um, shared file system for Amazon, where that is using Lustre. It's a managed Lustre service. And Lustre is a technology that's been used for supercomputers and simulations. And that type of performance is what customers are using now to get the data out of S3 and to use with their custom silicon, which is co-located together in the same availability zone. You just don't have a chip through storage performance benefit anywhere else like you do on AWS.
2: Don't worry, we're going to translate that. Kanye Macabella, managing partner at Kindred Ventures, is with us now. Kanye, it's great to see you. So part of what Mylan is talking about is, hey, we've already got this customer data, we've got these AI-tuned chips, and we've got a pathway to be able to get that data into the system to, to train up these models, right? She's arguing they have an advantage when Microsoft has had the narrative with open AI. Might we see a shift here?
7: It's gonna be extremely competitive. First of all, great to see you again, John, but it's gonna be extremely competitive because the truth is that there's going to be an open question around whether the models are actually gonna be the most important input in driving, uh, serving great results, which means at the lowest latency and at the highest quality, whether it's gonna be the orchestration, which she was just referring to, which is actually figuring out how to get data Uh, into these systems and get the data towards uh, from the compute all the way through, or whether it's actually going to be a matter of whether there's a cost advantage, uh, whether it's in simulating or in the compute itself. And every player who has scale is combining in different ways to try and figure out advantages. Mm. Microsoft is working very closely, for example, in their Azure cloud with Snowflake to try and figure out how to make the Snowflake data warehouse and the Azure cloud work even more seamlessly. So it's going to be a very, very tough battle. But the truth is, at every layer of the stack, there are multiple very well-funded and very well-executing competing players.
2: Well, let's, let's do this as three layers, right? You got the infrastructure layer at the base, including chips. Then you've got the foundation models in the middle. And then you've got the applications like ChatGPT and others on top. Let's start at the base because I talked to Andy Jassy yesterday. He was saying, hey, cost performance-wise, he was arguing they're going to be better than NVIDIA, uh, even though NVIDIA is seeing this massive... Um, premium right now is that possible? And and therefore, because if it is, investors need to think about how long Nvidia maintains that that valuation premium and how long you know, Amazon gets sort of shrugged off as an also ran. Well, there's two
7: inputs on that. Um, one of the inputs is the underlying te- the fundamental underlying technology, and Nvidia, frankly, does have a 20 year advantage in graphic processing units and. They were the ones that invented the category and have perfected the system. But there is a second component that I think is really important, which is how those graphic processing units are applied. And so I think that the orchestration and the way that you actually distribute and how you set the clusters up, how you run simulations on those clusters is going to make a big difference. Where I continue to think at least today that Nvidia has an advantage default is the fact that so many of the companies that are building foundation models, like an an inflection AI, like an open AI, are actually still organizing their clusters uh, with NVIDIA GPUs. And I think that's gonna present a good distribution advantage. It's gonna present a strong flywheel in terms of orchestration. That said, there are people who are building processing chips that are in fully vertically integrated solutions like Apple. And so I do think that being fully vertically integrated can also deliver cost advantages. So it's not just a matter of how the technology is designed, but how Mm. it's orchestrated in the system. And today, because of NVIDIA's distribution advantages, Uh, I actually think that they have an advantage in AI. Okay. But Andy makes a very good point that they have a distribution advantage the layer above, which means they're gonna be a fierce competitor over time. Because
2: investors also have to think about how much of this is priced in. One more before we let you go. It seems to me that very often it's the applications that end up driving the story. That certainly happened with ChatGPT. Once people actually got their hands on it and could see what it could do, that sparked all of this talk about investment and building these new features into various uh, both consumer and enterprise applications. How much do we need to look at who's able to deliver the case studies and the applications on top of their stack to drive developer interest and then economic value and investor returns?
7: There are two things that I think are the most important, and they're intimately related, but they both ultimately have to do with demand. And I think demand is going to be the fundamental generator of commercial value here. The fact that ChatGPT became the fastest consumer application to reach 100 million users last year is indicative of the fact that they were able to have an extraordinary amount of demand. The second, though, and this is where I think we're going to have to look very closely into how AI continues to integrate and become embedded across so many ecosystems is where there is proprietary data. Right Mm -hmm. now, so many of these large language models are crawling the web. Once they start crawling proprietary data, their ability to surface more nuanced and more specific and more end user useful, frankly, data is going to make a fundamental difference as well.
2: All right. Uh, Thanks for helping investors to understand it, get a jump on that. uh, Ahead of the second half, Kanye Macabella from Kindred Ventures. All right. Coming up, Meta's Twitter competitor Threads is taking the internet by a storm, becoming the most rapidly downloaded app in history. We're going to dig into the latest competition for consumers' attention. Next.
4: Canva presents
7: unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand.
2: back. Big techs competing head-to-head in the second half. Meta's Twitter competitor, Threads, which launched Wednesday night, already has 70 million users. That's compared to Twitter's 238 million daily active users as of last summer. Apple's recently unveiled Vision Pro headset will take on Meta's Oculus in mixed reality. And the explosion of generative AI continues, with Microsoft's CEO saying earlier this year when it comes to AI-powered search, he wants people to know that Microsoft made Google dance. So what could these matchups mean for the leaderboard in Silicon Valley? And what's in store for social media stocks in the second half? Our Julia Borston has the latest. Julia?
5: Well, hello, John. The second half of the year has been marked by the surprising debut of Meta's Threads. As you mentioned, drawing over 70 million users in its first day and a half, with this, Meta showing its ability to leverage Instagram's reach to launch this new text-based Twitter alternative. And Twitter, while struggling with outages on his desktop, pl- desktop platform and with user blowback to its tweet limits, is showing its concern by threatening Meta with legal action for launching threads. Now, Meta shares are up about 141% year to date, far outperforming its rivals, even as it works to cut costs in its self-proclaimed year of efficiency and also as it readies its next generation Oculus headsets to compete with Apple's Vision Pro. It's still, Meta is still likely the one to beat when, uh, which, <laughs> which could be the one to beat when it's released next year. Meanwhile, the other players in the space, Google and YouTube owner Alphabet, uh, it's up 35%. Snap is up more than 30% year to date, which is pretty much in line with the Nasdaq's gains this year, while Pinterest shares are up. Now, every single one of these platforms is facing the same key challenge, a contracting advertising market. They're also facing the same opportunity, the ability to use AI to improve advertising creation, targeting, and also measurement. All of these companies are also weighing how to compete for creators, how to use e commerce and how to navigate criticisms about their potentially negative impact on kids and teens, and also what they're doing about potential regulation. Now, privately held TikTok is, of course, at the center of the regulatory firestorm. And that is a key wild card for the rest of this year whether TikTok will be banned or whether it will be forced by regulators to spin off from its Chinese parent company. So, Donna. A lot of potential changes in, in, in the rest of this year, especially coming off the big surprise of Threads.
2: Yeah, great setup for us, Julia Borston. Thank you. All right, joining us now for a closer look at the broader impact of the Threads debut, Rachel Carton. She is social media consultant for companies like Kaba and West Elm. And Alex Kantrowitz, big technology founder and CNBC contributor. I- Rachel, were you surprised because Threads is like the polar opposite of the metaverse right? I mean, this is like text on a two-dimensional screen. It's something that it it seems like Facebook back when it was called that was resisting doing for a long time when people were saying, why don't you? And now it's growing.
8: Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised. I think that the timing um, is right. And I think that um, it was a fairly um, almost, I guess, I would say low lift sort of addition to Instagram and sort of porting all of their users over there is um I think it's a smart idea and I'm I'm very very curious to watch it closely.
2: Alex I wonder if Mark Zuckerberg's attention shifts away from some other things like the metaverse which I know is a is a long-term play but to this really interesting somewhat strategic but also tactical move which is Threads because I mean historically the guy loves growth he's addicted to growth and here's something that looks like it's growing both in numbers and in engagement off of Facebook Meta's existing social graph. This is like old school Mark Zuckerberg stuff.
1: Absolutely. I think his focus is gonna need to shift to this area, but maybe not all for good reasons. So let me just put this out there. What Threads is doing is it's building an algorithmic feed of social media content. What does that sound like? It sounds, okay, a little bit like Twitter, but a lot like Instagram. And when you view this in context of Meta's big war against TikTok, which is the battle of its life. This could, A, potentially distract some of its executives away from putting Instagram and Facebook front and center there, but also take some energy away from Instagram in terms of user focus. And once that happens, all of a sudden Facebook's plan to take on TikTok looks very different. So I think this is an underappreciated risk in this fight. All right, where well, the, let me co- push the back on, executives on that executives are gonna need to look this way.
2: I mean, th- there's plenty of investment that, that Meta can afford to shift around Does it have to go away from TikTok competition? Couldn't it come from the metaverse? Couldn't you take like 30% of those resources and say, eh, okay, maybe that's a few years out. Let's spend that money on making threads robust and monetizing it that much sooner.
1: You could, but the other side of this is the product side. And that's what I'm trying to say, that threads could eventually be an underappreciated competitor, not just to Twitter, but to Instagram. If this thing starts to take potential growth away from Instagram, potential growth away from reels, potential growth away from every TikTok competitor that Facebook has and ends up diluting the Instagram app, yeah, you could eventually have an issue where it doesn't matter how much resources you throw at the thing, Hmm. you end up competing with yourself more than you're competing with others. That's a potential risk. No one's talking about that. And I think that's a very important thing that could end up hamstringing meta as it tries to get this thing off the ground.
2: Rachel, what do you think? Is this classic Facebook? Meta using its existing strength to leverage into another product, which is how they helped grow uh, Instagram on the back of Facebook to begin with? Or is this a potential distraction? And are brands going to move from Instagram to threads and spend new money there?
8: Look, I think it's going to be really interesting. We're in day two right now. It feels chaotic in there. I'm curious, you know, weeks out. How are people using this platform? Are people posting a lot of photos there? Are people posting, you know, uh, downloaded TikToks in there? Or is it really text-based? Is it feeling really like status updating? And I think the proof is going to be in how people end up actually using this platform and not just how they're using it on day two.
2: So, Rachel, are you telling your clients to jump in now and experiment and sort of stake out their space? Or are you telling them to wait because There's so many now different platforms that you could be posting on. Is this one at 70 million, or maybe it'll be 80 by the end of the show. Uh, Is it worth getting into now?
8: Look, normally with a new platform, I say sit back, wait, grab your handle, and just see what happens. This one, and I think this is how I know there was a shift. I was like, let's get in there. Um, you know, Meta leaked, not leaked it, but, you know, announced it to a few brands. So as soon as you logged on, you saw that there was Netflix was already in there. Complex was already in there. There were brands really actively participating. And it almost felt like as a brand, you didn't have that time to wait. You had to get in there. You had to involve yourself. And so that's the first time I've really seen that in a long time with the new platform where brands really just jumped right in and, and were having a lot of fun in there.
2: Mr. Beast already has a couple million followers, I think. All right, Rachel, Alex. Thanks. Have a great weekend. All right, coming up, we're going to discuss the latest developments at Amazon with the company's senior VP of devices and services. Do not go anywhere. There's a lot more ahead on this special edition of Tech Check.
4: Coming up, green light for BABA. That stock soaring today on a hefty fine from Chinese regulators and C.E.K.O. It's the new battle of the C suite, with Musk and Zuckerberg promising a cage fight. Is it a new age for the alpha and tech? Next on CNBC.
2: Welcome back to the special edition of Tech Check, where we're taking a closer look at all things tech and artificial intelligence. Now, stocks closing the day lower with the Dow the underperformer of the major averages. The Russell 2000 up 1.2% after yesterday's big drop there. Similar story for the first week of the second half, with the Dow finishing off almost 2% compared to the S&P and NASDAQ's slimmer losses. The Dow seeing its worst week since early March. Topping the NASDAQ this week, EV stocks, Tesla, Lucid Motors, Rivian rounding out the top three, with Rivian up almost 50% just this week. Meanwhile, healthcare and chip stocks finishing the week lower in the NASDAQ 100. AstraZeneca, in particular, down this week on mixed results from a lung cancer story. Now, let's get back to the consumer and the macro. Let's bring in Dave Limp, Amazon's Senior Vice President of Devices and Services, Dave, I was just out there in your neighborhood yesterday, but missed you. So I'm glad that we can talk here. How are you?
9: I'm great, John. Glad you were here. And thanks for bringing the good weather.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. It was very nice. So talk to me about um, your over devices and services. Prime day for Amazon is next week. The consumer still seems to be spending, but Andy Jassy was telling me there there's a lot of trading down going on. What do you expect, particularly when it comes to Amazon's own devices next week?
9: Yeah, we uh, obviously have two big days next week, uh, but we started our lead up sales this week and it's off to a good start. You know, but I do agree with Andy that uh, people are looking for value and you know one of the things that we've really stood for as you've known for a long time with our devices is to try to build premium products at non-premium prices and then when we can uh, discount them for our best customers our prime customers on these days uh, there's just values left and right to be had
2: so what are you doing within the supply chain and in the designer products at this you know kind of tricky period in the economy, to make sure that you deliver that value, uh, you, you've got scale, so I imagine you've got some advantages versus the competition.
9: Yeah, you know, we've shipped uh, over uh, half a billion devices that are Alexa-enabled to over 200 million Fire TVs, so we're we're in the. Uh, the- a good position based based on our customers' uh, demands to be able to build things at scale. And when you do that, you can engineer costs out of your products. And so, when you can get a Fire TV stick for under thirty dollars, when you can get an Echo Pop for under thirty dollars, these are these are incredible values with with a lot of technology packed into them. But they're engineered to be that way, and then the scale of the business allows us to to deliver those savings and and get them on to the consumer.
2: Talk to me about cuts. You killed Halo and uh, the, the health line of devices and services. But Astro, that robot that you showed me up there a couple years ago, is still alive. You just didn't update in September, even though that thing's still north of fifteen hundred dollars. W- what are your priorities? Why did you do it that way?
9: Well, you know, I, uh, a lot of things, we want to invent a lot of things. And, and I think we do. And uh, and when you invent something, you take you inherently take risk. And I think the nice thing about this organization, Amazon as a whole, is we're willing to take on risk. And uh, But I think what people forget is when you take on that risk, not everything is going to succeed. I think people assume we have this perfect track record at Amazon. We do have a good track record, but it's not perfect. And Halo is a good example of that. The team invented well. They listened to the customer. They tried to deliver things. There just wasn't enough customers out there that the product resonated with. And that's okay. And uh, when you recognize that, you shut it down, you move on and uh, put your bets on other places. And we have lots of those. And I'm confident that we have a lot of successes left to show customers out there. And I believe robotics will be one of that area. Uh, You know, I I can't imagine a future 10 years from now, especially with all we see going on in AI, where Every household isn't going to have at least one robot. In fact, I think they'll have more than one robot. I certainly want that house. And uh, Astros are uh, our starting point there, and I think there'll be more to come.
2: Do you have any sense that consumers are starting to have paid service fatigue, subscription fatigue, um, versus uh, being willing to buy something and and use a service in the back end for free?
9: I think different products have different business models, you know, and so uh, but the, the most important thing I think that uh, often our industry forgets is you can't just have a subscription for subscription's sake. A subscription has to provide real value for the customer. And if you if you're doing that uh, and I'm, I, we have really good subscription dynamics in our prime business, we have really good subscription dynamics in our ring business, as an example, then customers see the value. And it allows you to price them very affordably and give oversized value within that subscription envelope or umbrella. Uh, and when you do that, you see uh, you know very low churn, very high customer satisfaction. I think it's when you're not putting that customer first and trying to put oversized value into these subscriptions that that fatigue starts happening and you start seeing very high churn, atrophy, uh, non-use. and And that's not what we want to do as an industry, I don't think.
2: Well, here's a, for example, give me an update on your philosophy and strategy when it comes to Kindle, which I think of as the original Amazon device. I mean, yeah, we got Echoes now and robots and things like that, but it was really about eBooks and Kindle where where Amazon first got confident about building out devices. So right now in this economy where people are trading down, are they still buying Kindles? Is it the Paperwhite? How do you demonstrate value in that device?
9: Yeah, I, you know, the Kindle business, I a lot I think a lot of it's because it's just such a brand that customers love. Uh it has been extremely resilient. You know, it's it, it and and I think first half of this year we're up du- uh, double digits in an, in a place where a lot of consumer electronics, you look at phones, you look at tablets, they're not doing that. And so it's been incredible to see the response from customers. But, but I think we want to stick to our knitting here, which is we, we want to build a device that is very uh, purpose-focused. It's great for reading. And with Kindle Scribe, it also now has some writing capabilities. But it it gets it allows you to get lost in the author's words. It disappears when when you're reading it. You don't think of it as consumer electronics. You think of it as a vehicle to um, bring you into the story that the author tried to uh, to deliver. And I, I we the team continues to invent and uh, and bring prices down. And by bringing prices down, but packing it full with that paperwhite technology, now at an ever lower price point. Uh, in, our, in our core Kindle product, it's, um, it's resonating with customers and, and that business is growing.
2: So Dave, as, as an e- executive with a massive portfolio of products and services, looking now into the second half, what's your biggest question about the holiday season, right? As you're drawing out your scenarios and what you're going to do with supply chain, uh, what you're going to do about demand, what's your biggest question?
9: I think the biggest question is really the uh, the the macroeconomic uncertainty. I you know, it uh, I I'd have to say I am surprised how resilient uh, a number of the economies around the world, the US included, uh have uh have kind of stayed stronger than I would have predicted. Uh but I still think that when you look at some of the fundamentals and and what could you know, where where this could go over the next 6 to 12 months. Uh, you have to have a little bit more cautious profile. So, I, you know, and in, in in our business, that takes the form of making sure that you're. Uh, uh, building the right products, the products the customers really want, and not overbuilding the ones they don't want. Uh, you're thinking about price points. You're trying to get more value into your products because, as as Andy mentioned, I think people are out there looking for, looking for deals right now. And I, I think if you concentrate on those fundamentals and also build products the customers want, that's probably the most important thing that resonate, that are over four-star products then you can go into a holiday season uh, with more confidence. You know, I, Obviously, we have a, a big week ahead of us with Prime Day, uh, so we'll know a lot more then. But uh, again, with the lead up going how it is, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic.
2: Well, we are looking forward to seeing what you find uh, there next week and beyond. Dave Limp, Senior Vice President at Amazon over Devices and Services. Thank you. Thanks, John all right coming up china's tech crackdown it's not just for american companies anymore beijing's central bank finding alibaba's ant group nearly a billion dollars for multiple violations will explain why that's actually good news for alibaba stock plus the cage fighting happening in silicon valley why this era of competitive ceo is different and the same we'll be right back there are a lot of responsibilities, opportunities, that come with being a CEO. And lately, one of them, a little bit of a surprise to me, but it's, it's become uh, prominent in tech, cage matches. Am I gonna see you turning up, challenging anybody to a cage match? I wouldn't bet on that. <laughs> but if you were to get into one, I, I, I might bet and probably bet on you because you, you have a strong track record. And,
3: kinds of i don't know if you've seen me fight before john
2: (laughs) i I haven't seen any major ceos fight but it looks like we might not say that this time next year
3: yeah it's possible
2: stocks closed the day lower with the dow the underperformer of the major averages the russell 2000 again up 1.2 percent after a big drop yesterday, similar story uh, for this first week of the second half, the Dow finishing off about 2% compared to the S&P and Nasdaq's slimmer losses. Once again, we mentioned it before, it's the worst week for the Dow since early March. Uh, and EV stocks did do particularly well uh, this week. Tesla, Lucid Motors, the top two. Meanwhile, shares of Alibaba jumping today. China's central bank slapped affiliate firm Ant Group with a nearly billion dollar fine for violating governance, consumer protection and money laundering violations. You would think that would be a bad thing, but maybe not. Our own Eunice Yoon joins us now. Eunice, first of all, loved your report this morning on Squawk, um, on uh, Janet Yellen and the reception to her there. I was just getting home from a red-eye flight from Seattle and got to hear that, so let's, let's talk about this Alibaba ant group situation. Is this the thought that this is just the last slap before letting ant group just be and, and, and finally grow and do?
6: Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is really seen as the end of a three year long probe into Ant. And uh, so there. even though this, this fine is, is really big, uh, there are some positives there. And that's one of the reasons why we saw um, Alibaba's shares uh, rally because of its affiliation, of course, with the fintech group Ant. Um, the other reason is that this fine was a little bit less than expected. It's $985 million. So um, a little bit less than the $1.1 uh, or $1.2 that people were expecting. Uh, however, Ant uh, was fined. And then, of course, Tencent was also fined about $420 million, again, for what uh, the authorities here had said were past violations. But at the end of the day, what was interesting was the commentary around it, where the central bank, as well as other regulators, had said that um, now they see that the um, whole situation and the the issues that they saw in the fintech industry have been rectified. And uh, that language has signaled that perhaps the authorities here will ease off a bit on the industry was, after yeah. you know a very tumultuous period.
2: That would be a very big deal, right? Everybody back in the pool, because yeah. we had the, the education and tutoring stocks that got hit. For a while there, it looked like Chinese tech stocks were uninvestable. If they're saying, okay, now we yeah. feel better about things, um, that, that I guess could be good. But I'm also hearing a lot about high unemployment and worker issues kind of fundamentally in Chinese tech, so is Chinese tech itself ready to actually grow even if the Chinese government is ready to let it?
6: Well, I think it's, it's really difficult to say this point. I mean, the, the leadership here is trying to message to the Chinese tech industry as well as to private enterprise uh, more generally that uh, we have your back, uh, we're going to support you, uh, you need to grow, <laughs> and we're gonna help you to expand. Uh, But the problem is that what what we've seen over the past three years and all the crackdowns that you mentioned, and especially the way that the Ant IPO was pulled, if you remember, it was just a couple of days before the IPO was Uh, really dramatic. So that has had had, um, a, a big effect on the mentality among private enterprise here. So it's still unclear as to exactly how quickly they will want to grow. And then you have to throw in the whole slowing economy as well. And that's not necessarily because of domestic issues, it's domestic issues, but also because of what's happening globally.
2: Yunus, know, so I wonder your take on something that Andy Jassy, Amazon CEO, told us yesterday. I asked him about the, the US uh government's potential move to try to keep Chinese companies from having access to AI resources in the cloud. And he said, well, actually, they're Chinese uh, cloud companies with plenty of AI capability. It it isn't a big deal. It probably isn't worth the the U.S. even trying to seal off that access. How big a deal is that potential move and the kind of choking off of access to high-end AI chips from the likes of NVIDIA? How big a deal is that from the Chinese government perspective?
6: Uh, FROM A CHINESE GOVERNMENT PERSPECTIVE, AS WELL AS A CHINESE PRIVATE ENTERPRISE AND TECH PERSPECTIVE, um, it's, a, IT'S A HUGE DEAL, uh, BECAUSE uh, WHAT WE WERE SEEING HERE IS THAT AFTER THE U.S. has HAD ANNOUNCED IT'S, uh, FROM THE CHINESE PERSPECTIVE, VERY AGGRESSIVE EXPORT CONTROLS uh, FOR uh, ADVANCED CHIPS. Uh, SOME OF THE COMPANIES HERE WERE TRYING TO FIND WORKAROUNDS TO BE ABLE TO STILL ACCESS um, KIND OF THIS COMPUTING POWER THAT YOU WOULD NEED THAT WAS PROVIDED BY the um, NVIDIA's uh, chips as well as as other um, high-tech chips. So one of the workarounds was to use cloud computing, and that's one of the reasons why we've been hearing this rumbling uh, that uh, the U.S. could be uh, trying to target that industry in order to really close off what has been seen as a loophole by the U.S., but also um, an opportunity, frankly, uh, by um, a lot of the Chinese tech companies that still want to compete in AI, And from a Chinese government perspective, um, one of the long-term goals has been to become a dominant player in technology because, Mm. I mean, as you could see with EVs, for example, um, if you dominate a certain space, I mean, especially in China, you could dominate the space globally.
2: Well, it's good to see you, Eunice, with the sun so high in the sky. Not used to that, uh, but that's because <laughs> it's so late here. Our Eunice Yoon, thank I you. I know, is there
5: a sun here? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> All right, coming up we are, or are we, in a new era of tech bro machismo. We're gonna take a look at why things are getting so physical in today's tech environment when Tech TechJack returns. Welcome back. The launch of Meta's Threads app is creating a new competition between Mark Zuckerberg's Meta platforms and Elon Musk's Twitter. And it comes just a few days after Musk challenged Zuckerberg to, yes, a cage match fight. So, is this a new era of pop culture macho CEO? Let's bring in Andrew Reiner, a lecturer in men's studies at Towson University and the author of the book Better Boys, Better Men The New Masculinity That Creates Greater Courage and Emotional Resiliency. I believe that was out in 2000 first to discuss. So, Andrew, is this just a one-off of two super-rich, high-performing guys who have some aggression to, to work out, or do you think there's a broader cultural CEO narrative here?
3: I don't know that, you know, I don't know, John. I don't know that there's a CEO narrative, but I do think that there is a broader story here. Um, you know, we're living in a time when, uh, you know, five or six years ago, there was this this viral image of Vladimir Putin riding around on a horse horseback, shirtless, with his rifle strapped across his you know his chest, and we all rolled our eyes at it. You know now we're now we're seeing um, a lot of young guys um, you know on social media on dating apps shirtless. Um, every you know everybody's going for the you know the Mr. America torso, um, and there's a big a huge problem with a lot of older boys and young men. Um, using steroids, getting big orexia, um, you know, and there's a huge rise in, in boxing and mixed martial arts. I think that... Well, that doesn't sound all bad, right? Like, I mean, no, certainly no. The, the
2: steroids part, you you don't want that. But at least they're getting outside, right? And, and maybe <laughs> if they're doing true. it in a healthy way, you know, exercise Absolutely. is good. We're all locked up for a long time. So what's the line here between healthy and
3: unhealthy? So... Okay, so well, just you know, speaking just to you know to Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, I can't help but but, but wonder if this isn't a bit of some 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 showmanship and some gamemanship, you know that that there is there is you know a little bit of peacocking going on here, a little where you know a little just a little <laughs> yeah where you know where these guys you know have been calling each other out on social media we all know that, and and a line's been crossed and then so you know what are you going to do then, and and I think that that they want cultural relevancy. You know, they want cultural currency. They want to seem like they're relevant. And I think that part of it is that by the more badass they can seem and a little bit less cerebral, you know, and a little bit less, you know, wonky, I think that this this is a ticket for these guys. And there's also,
2: I think, this effect where you've got Elon Musk, who just likes to court danger, right? Whether it's rockets or whether it's, Threatening to buy Twitter and then realizing maybe that wasn't so. And then you've got Mark Zuckerberg who is giving himself these yearly challenges where he was out hunting, you know, animals for food. And lately he's been like working out right. and learning to fight. He, right. he was ready for this. All right, Andrew Reiner, thank you so much. And that's going to do it for Tech Check. Thanks for watching. Last call with Brian Sullivan starts
7: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail.